Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show goes where you go to have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that move you closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, or possibly change your entire trajectory, depending on your point of view. We go to those places and sometimes you hear noise in the background. For example, today, I'm sitting out on my sumptuous balcony here in my residence in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some on some days as the hottest city in America. And we are going to have a conversation about turning ideas into action. Now, you maybe think, oh, I've heard that before, turning ideas into action. What means you just do it? Well, there's a bit more to it than that. So we're looking at a new way of looking at it, a new way of facilitating discussions, looking at economic models, looking at the power of entrepreneurship, and this concept, which I can't wait to define, called a market-powered revolution. To share with us on this and more, we have Milan Cortestani. Let me tell you about him. He is a young visionary entrepreneur and founder of three impact-driven companies branching across various industries, including music education and journalism. Inspired by problems in his own world, Milan believes in the power of entrepreneurship to create real change in the world. Ah, it sounds good to me. Milan Cortestani, come on in. The weather's fine. Hello, Adam. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, I always read off the official bio. And once again, once again, I'm not sure I'm worthy to be in your presence. And this is my show. So I read off the official version. Now let's get a little bit into your story before we dive into some of these topics that we went over in the green room that I'm so excited to share with our listeners. And tell us a bit, tell us something of your own journey, something that happened, something you experienced that brought you along the path of bringing you to where you are now, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion? Yes. Um, I guess I would say I just kept going. (laughs) Uh, You know, like as I've had all of these different problems in my life, passions and ideas on on ways I could solve problems. uh, Usually the ideas I had the first time didn't work out, but I kept going and you know, now now I get to sit on a show talking to you, Adam, about the stuff I build, and uh, that's really exciting, I guess. <laughs> well, well, cer- certainly. So, uh, what are some of the things you've built? I mean, you mentioned you've been involved in multiple different companies. So, uh, you mentioned a little bit about music, a little bit about education, a little bit about journalism. What is it? What is it you're actually up to? Yeah, so my whole passion here and belief is that we can create these ecosystems, these businesses that are self-sustaining and create positive externalities for the world. Um, So what I mean by that is creating businesses that are generating profit, not just so that they can sustain, but so that they can generate 
um, you know, solutions for the world and, and for, for markets out there. So one of them that is most recently been my, you know, has been taking the majority of my attention is this company called Auto. And basically what we've been doing with Auto is we've been using AI to reverse engineer the courses and educational material that's available online uh, needed for certain jobs that are available on, in the market. So we pull from the internet of job um, job descriptions and, and job postings that exist online and we serve up the courses so that you can affordably land those courses uh, or you could avo- affordably get the land skills those jobs. Yeah. Land those jobs. Yes. Right, right, right. Well, that that's very intriguing. So I, I mean, since human intelligence hasn't yet solved the issue of particularly for, say, programmer jobs, where they'll demand seven years of experience in a particular programming language. And then the person who invented the programming language applies to the job and says, I know I only have three years, but I just invented it three years ago. Yes, basically, you know, helping people understand that, uh, well, I mean, it, it starts with this big problem that a lot of our education system, people are going and spending vast amounts of money to get a degree that isn't actually translating to what the job market is demanding. And so that's kind of our whole appeal here is saying a lot of the most amazing entrepreneurs that we know and love today actually rose by self-learning and you know getting an early first gig or opportunity where they were able to learn on the job and kind of falling in love with that. And so I fully believe that this next generation is going to have to be um, you know, obsessed with learning because we're going to have to constantly reskill and upskill uh, you know, in, in new skills so that we can stay competitive in the job market. Look, even during my day, and uh, I was born in 1976, so you can put me within whatever framework you want in the trajectory of the job market. I got my, I finished my MBA in human resource management in December of 2002. During the time that I pursued the MBA, it took me uh, six semesters, a little over two years. I did it while working a full-time job. Now, I remember speaking with someone not long after I graduated with the MBA, and he made a very curious comment. He said, "He said you're not trying to get promoted to your current job, are you? Now, I told him that, now this was a few years after I finished the MBA, so at that point, I actually was looking to get promoted to my current job. The reason being is I had started an entrepreneurial venture, and I wanted a bigger paycheck to tide me through until I could jump. Mm. I just didn't feel like doing a job search at that point. I'd already done a job search, gotten two offers, and turned them down. I decided entrepreneurship was going to be my way to go. And and he he said, well, I guess that's okay. But bear in mind that, you know, you've been working for that company two years. And if you don't make some sort of move, whether it's starting your own business or going to work for another company, now that you have the MBA, people are going to look at you and say, what's he doing just sitting there? Why does nobody want to hire him? Is is he no good? Is he unmotivated? Is he a a lifer or a time server? And see that right there was contrary to the programming I'd gotten just over the previous few years of, you know, because I was not far out of childhood at that point, that you find a company and you stay loyal to them and you get the gold watch in the shack in Fort Lauderdale. Well, the gold watch in the shack in Fort Lauderdale no longer exists. And who the hell wants to live in a shack in Fort Lauderdale? (laughs) I like Fort Lauderdale. I've been there, but I'm not living in a shack there. If I were to go to Fort Lauderdale, I'm getting myself a nice apartment or something. Well, and COVID totally exposed the fact that people are able to make money online now and yeah. be able to travel and become these digital nomads. And so all of a sudden we have this new surge that's saying, not only do I not want the gold watch and shackle, but I don't want to be stuck to the same city and the same office. I want yeah. to be work wherever I want to work from, whether it's 
at home with taking care of my family or it's traveling the world. Like, uh, you know, and, and that's really what I think is going to be the first job for a lot of, you know, Gen Z is gig work that allows you to do that. Becoming a freelancer online on some of these marketplaces um, or at least that's what I hope that we're <laughs> training with with auto um, by having these students come in taking courses that, you know, are predominantly digital skills first. I think I made a comment on somebody's Facebook thread a few weeks ago. I can't remember the context of it, but I remember what I wrote is that every parent, when their kid graduates from high school or uh, completes their required stated educational requirements, which is, uh, which is, I actually prefer the latter phrasing of the first thing that the parents should get them or the, the guardian would have you is an LLC just to ha- just to have something to run money through because it's almost inevitable you're going to do gig work, side work, you're going to experiment with some entrepreneurial ventures even if you take the career path you're still going to be doing other stuff. That is fantastic advice. I fully agree because then you start thinking about uh you know each job that you're accepting and your exchange of time as somehow contributing to the empire you're building for yourself. And so right. You know, having that LLC is it, it gives you some first step, at least to seeing it that way. Yeah, it's it's already there. I mean, I know people here in Las Vegas who do gig work, and I've, I've met a few that basically did it all cash. And I felt bad for them because they couldn't rent an apartment because they didn't have any credit. And I would tell them again and again and again, you got to sunlight. You got to get a limited liability company or a corporation of some sort. And you got to run at least some of your money through it. You got to play in the system a little bit. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're not even going to get a place to live. Yes. Uh, One one of the things that, you know, I've had the same CPA for over 20 years, and he's good at two things. Number one, making sure that we're compliant with all federal, state, and local requirements. And number two, the bare minimum thereof. (laughs) Fair enough. I get it. Yeah. Uh, that's that's another important part. I think a lot of young people think that they have to be this, you know, Swiss army knife of all of the problems in their life or even the personal needs that they have, like being financially the smartest person that they know. Uh, and that's a really overwhelming thing for a lot of people that are not financially that literate. And finding that first CPA, finding that first individual who can kind of help explain things to you without making you feel like you, you know, are you know, incompetent uh, is super important because then you're open to asking the questions and starting to think like, okay, how can I have this person help me start to dream a little bit and uh, think of each of my career moves as, you know, ultimately a, a big part of, um, you know, my my pursuit of creating wealth. Well, cer- certainly, certainly. And and other episodes of this show, maybe we'll come back to this, depending on how our conversation goes. <laughs> I've um, I've made so many comments about what the educational system up until now has done to us. I have described my own education as child abuse, which I feel basically is what it was. Uh, I, I don't care who's listening. I don't care who hears that. I'll say it to your face. I think it was child abuse. And I think that unfortunately, that particularly with the way our educational system is designed, we're still using the Prussian model of creating useful servants for the state. Yes. That's not where it's not enough to say that that model just on an ethical and moral basis is outdated. It's still possibly not enough to say that the economy has shifted to such a point where that model becomes increasingly irrelevant. Right. You're speaking of the educational model? Yeah. Yes. We haven't gotten to that point yet, but 
you know, like part of what I'm here excited to share is this book I have coming out April 25th called I'm Just Saying. And it's one of the lessons that I teach in this book, or like the reason I wrote a book was for that age demographic of lessons I wish I had learned when I was in high school around having difficult conversations and the importance of asking the uncomfortable questions. Because like you said, this education system is ultimately creating sheep. It's creating people who just want, you know, are going to work for the government to an extent um, or take these jobs where they're just expected to do the same thing over and over again. But that's not the economy that we're moving towards. And that's not the job market we're moving towards where human capacity, the creativity is actually what we're starting to monetize more as a lot of the mundane gets automated. We use AI, we use robots as we start to, you know, be able to do those tasks more efficiently or more cost effectively. um, Our education system needs to actually be able to help people, you know, become Use yeah. society in creative ways. Well, and they can argue that we still need factory workers. You know, we do need factory workers. And I and I and I celebrate any job that anybody chooses to take because somebody has to do it and yes. we all need each other. So if somebody wants to work nine to five in a factory and that's what they feel is the best way to go about their life, I cheer them on because some people were built for that, and we need those people. We can't exist without them, and they can't exist without us. But then look at the, then look at the people on the floor of that factory, and uh, you might. And if you found out what they were doing after the uh, after they punch out for the end of their shift, you might find that one of them has a carpet cleaning business on the side. Another one might have a handyman business. Another one might be might be doing motivational speaking. Another might be a many time published author on Amazon. You would be possibly mind blown by some of the things that these folks are doing outside of the eight eight hours a day five days a week that they're working on that factory floor and that is just where our economy is going and while you know how they say everything is everything that is old eventually becomes new again that's how it was before right the idea that that in previous times most people had multiple sources or streams of income did many different things to patch together a living and now it's more than just patching together a living it's creating a personal prosperity and a thriving economy for your own self and your own family yes i mean we see this in several different industries but like artists specifically they all the time they talk about all the different revenue streams that they need to create it's not you can't just be an artist and expect to make all your money on streaming you have to put out merch and you have to create opportunities to connect with fans and create those experiences and then you have to do shows and all of these different income streams uh, to be able to you know survive or build the life that you want and i fully think that that's kind of the economy we're moving towards like even myself right as i find this passion and i decided i wanted to be an entrepreneur and be a founder uh, i wanted to make bets across the board right and so i started working on several different ideas and several different companies and eventually for me that became incubating startups and realizing that i could do that at scale for a long time but uh, part of that in the early days was like spreading out the chips you know yeah. thinking to myself one of these could fail tomorrow but i actually love the process of what i'm doing and i love the journey and so you know i hope that even just one of them sustains and makes it and um, you know, has some sort of impact. So I fully agree. That's that's the way our education system needs to support rather than this notion that you go to school, you get a degree, and somehow you're able to sustain off of that for a lifetime because a lot of these graduates can't even sustain on it the day they come out of school. Um, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you want to talk about my high school experience. Uh, you know, you know, you know what I learned in high school? Um, 
the part-time job I had working in a fast food restaurant. I learned, you know what I learned there? I learned about interpersonal communication. I learned about persuasion. I learned about negotiation. Yes. I learned about logistics. I, uh, I learned about Q theory in action. Probably advocating for yourself as well, right? Well, that's where, that's where the negotiation persuasion came in. Right. I learned, I learned all those skills flipping burgers that I wasn't getting in that classroom. And didn't that open like a massive door for you? Like yeah, it did. the power of just being able to be this person who's capable of having all of these conversations. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, they, you know, they say, uh, you, you might've even been asked this before in one of your other interviews. Uh, if you could go back and, and, and visit yourself as say, let them to follow my own example. Let's just say, go back to when you're 16 years old. Uh, Milan, if you could go back to yourself when you were 16, what would you say to yourself? Like one sentence, what would you say? Act as if. Um, it's this mantra I have yep. with me to this day. It's act as if it's possible. Basically, uh, you, you know, every day when you wake up, you have to act as if it's possible to create your dreams. You have to act as mm -hmm. if it's possible to you know, change the world, because if you don't, you're going to end up this miserable, depressed person. And so the reality is, you know, you have to wake up every day and act as if it's possible yeah. uh, to, to achieve the things that you want and, and make the life that you want. And little by little, you get there. Yeah, if I if I were to be able to go back and visit myself when I was 16, I would say, take the fucking GED. There's nothing for you. <laughs> you're, you're allowed to do it. Just uh, get out, go make some money. And in a year or two, go to college. Yes. See, they told us that if you didn't get your high school diploma, you were screwed for life. And if you got a GED, you'd be classified as something. And even back then, they were lying. You know, even back then, 30 years ago, your worst case scenario, if you ended up with a, with a GED rather than a diploma, is if you want to go to a major university, they, may, they might say something like, uh, could you do a year community college just to show us that you're serious about education? That was yeah. about the worst you would face. It was such a, yeah. And it's still like that because it's this system they've created that tells you, you have to apply to these schools before you graduate from college. I mean, sorry, before high school. Uh, and then just immediately funnel into college. They don't tell you like, oh, you could take six months and go figure out what you want to do and explore the world a little bit. And maybe on the side, you could take a couple community college courses if you wanted. But uh -huh. at the same time, like life is, you know, long now. <laughs> and so you have yeah. time to go and figure that out. And best of all, probably go and work a job and, and see what you learn from that opportunity, because that's going to, it's like a relationship, you know, it's like every relationship. It's not, they're not meant to last forever. Some of them. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, this brings up one more story. Now we're going to get into some of your points here. Um, after I finished my undergrad, uh, Penn State, 1998 political science with histories and with, excuse me, with minors in history and Middle East studies, Wow. My I, my second job I ended up with uh, was working as a recruiter for, for a temporary staffing agency, which was such a horrible experience. I actually wrote about it in the chapter of the anthology Journey to Success, the Millennial Edition. And I celebrate April 27th, which is the day that I uh, was terminated from that job as uh, my second birthday for the reasons that it showed two other fictions that that if you get fired from a job, your career is not over. And if you leave a job without having a job, another job lined up, your career is not over. Right. So those are, so those are two other myths blown out of the way, but 
I I'd finished my undergrad and I was and I originally had planned to go to law school, but then I decided being an attorney wasn't what I wanted. So I was casting around thinking there's there's more here. I'm this you know, I'm not going to be a temp recruiter for very long. There's there's other things out there. What's it going to be? So one of my contacts for finding temps to fill our assignments was the head of the human resource program at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, uh, Dr. Jay Leibowitz. He's now retired. And he and I struck up a bit of a friendship. And one day I just called him up at his office out of the blue and I and I said, uh, and I asked some questions, you know, you know, would I be a good candidate for the MBA program? And he told me I'd be a perfect candidate for the MBA program. Mm-hmm. But then I said, but but I graduated from Penn State two years ago and I've been out of school two years. Uh, they say that once you leave school that you lose them. He said, no, 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 no. You're who we want because you've been out in the world and you've, you've been yeah. in the environment of business and you see how it works. Our curriculum will mean more to you. Absolutely apply. And I indeed got my MBA from Duquesne University. And I mentioned earlier that one of my minors at Penn State had been in Middle East studies, which was an avocation I took up. Uh, and he had the idea, well, you come you uh, come to Duquesne University, you get an MBA, you concentrate in human resources, uh, maybe you become an HR director for uh, for an international oil firm. Huh. It's like I'd never thought of that. Son wow. of a gun. Yeah. All right. So you so Milan, you have this concept, and I've and I'm so ready to dive in here of what you call the market powered revolution. I may go in a slightly different order from the things you wanted to speak about and, you know, bear with me. And if you need to sort of nudge this in a certain way, I'll work with you on this, but let's start there. What is the concept of a market powered revolution? It just feels like that's a place to start. A market powered revolution. So, I mean, a market powered revolution is just this idea that like the market is going to speak and and drive forward evolution in technology or in, in industry. So, um, I mean, that's, that's the crux of it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a, ter- it was a term that was, um, that was shared with me here. So, uh, um, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, I thought it was a pretty interesting type of thing and, you know, we could talk about things like social engineering and capitalism. So I'm not sure where you stand on this, but one of the things you mentioned you wanted to touch on is in terms of social engineering and capitalism, you know, what can we do to change the world? And it mentions without resorting to socialism. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, there's this concept called conscious capitalism, this idea yeah. we're able to create companies and organizations that aren't just nonprofits, right? But that actually are generating income and creating impact that's positive for the world um, through their existence. It, but it's important to do that from a social engineering perspective. And, and so what I mean when I say that our social architecting uh, is this idea that we're able to do that without making it a burden to the end user. So when we talk about like creating, um, you know, a packaging, for example, being a really big burden to the climate issues like we're having right. a lot of waste and ending up with a lot of that waste and being in not only landfills and oceans and not getting recycled but that problem not being passed on to the end consumer of like okay well now you need to go and separate all of your materials in your home and you need to pay an extra fee for that waste management and so on 
but having that like solved by these organizations, right? That they're when whatever they're shipping you is coming with that solution. And you see that sometimes when you order different things and they tell you like, this is biodegradable and just throw it in the trash. It doesn't even matter what happens to it. Um, but like that is at its core social architecture or when Apple gets you to do exactly what they want, they're gamifying the experience to keep you in their ecosystem and wanting to buy more of their products because they speak so well with each other. And the second you try to get an Android, but you have a Mac computer, the two don't you know, work well together. Like that is them social architecting you to live within their ecosystem. We can do that for good in the world. Is, yeah. is- well, Microsoft uh, has substantially evolved the same way. Uh, my Android device speaks with my Lenovo Yoga. I mean, they 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 communicate seamlessly with each other, and I have the ability to get my both my Lenovos to speak with each other, and along with my HP and my Dell. I mean, they they all can have little chats and things like that. And you know what I've also discovered is more and more use of the cloud. So it doesn't matter where I'm at. One of the things I figured out a long time ago, and I became a full-time entrepreneur in 2005. And this was way before we had cloud computing, the ability to store things efficiently and cost-effectively in the cloud and things like that. But even so, I designed a home network with multiple shared hard drives running through the router where if one of my computers like literally just caught on fire, the only thing I'd have to do is get a fire extinguisher, put it out, and then just go over the other computer and I could pick up right where I left off. Nice. Now I'm at a point where... I actually have to keep one of my old HP computers alive that runs Windows 8 to be able to still access those hard drives until such time as I have the opportunity to go through them, uh, wipe them out, and take whatever files I want to keep and put them on Dropbox because the idea of those shared hard drives has become more and more obsolete, Uh, particularly with Windows 10 and Windows 11 environments. It's very difficult to get those those operating systems to recognize those old devices because uh, I bought I bought both those hard drives before the year 2008 and we're in 2023. Things change. Yes. Part of, part of the reason I won't let go of my Dell desktop computer though, and even that thing is six seven years old, and I and I baby that thing like it's brand new because it has a DVD ROM. And you love having a what do you what do you what DVDs do you have? <laughs> Well, uh, sometimes I uh, sometimes I just want to watch a DVD. Uh, you know, what's interesting is I don't have a television. I own one, but ever since I moved to my new apartment, I never unpacked it because the idea of sitting and watching programming is not something for me. If I want to stream a movie, I can do that on any of my laptops or my smartphone, or I do have an iPad. I mean, you probably figured out I'm more of a I'm more of an Android Windows guy, but I do have I do have an iPad. All those devices you can uh, are basically little televisions now. It's so interesting. I think the iPad is like the most useless of all of the the Apple devices. <laughs> you want? You want? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I got it because everybody was saying, "Get on Clubhouse! Get on Clubhouse! Get on Clubhouse!" And it was only and, iOS, and it was only iOS. So I let somebody persuade me into buying the iPad so I could play wow. in this Clubhouse room. And then a week later, Clubhouse says. Here is your long-awaited Android app, and I thought, <laughs> "Fuck you!" <Yeah. laughs> and what did I, what did I get out of this? A portable television. Thanks. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a terribly useless device. But okay, I'll tell you what: your TV. I mean, you don't have to pay for channel television. You can just yeah. have a streaming device on there, and it could. I mean, it could be any of them because a lot of them now have interoperability. Like you could get a Chrome stick. I don't think a Chrome stick would do this, but like a lot of these like Samsung TVs and such, they'll come with the ability, like built-in Apple TV. 
um but you know yeah my, my my tv is a samsung it has all that ability to play with my right. computers so i can i can chromecast i can i can send all kinds of things from any of my computers right into that television i don't need a cable plan i don't have one so that same level of interoperability that exists like that's that's the term for that right like that, that all of these pieces of tech can work together in this ecosystem yeah. and it's seamless is what's missing in our education to career pipeline. Like you yeah. go to school and parents pay, I mean, like, you know, if you your kids are going to private school, then your parents are paying a premium even. But if they're not, like you're going off of the government funding or, you know, the people funding to like get, get you to catch up to speed with the rest of society so that you can be a contributing member to the world. And, and the reality is, you know, like we, we keep pushing people to college and that's like the biggest lie out of becoming yeah. successful. There is no interoperability there. I yeah, I don't put I don't put down college. I mean, uh, I mean, if that's an opportunity for you to get a universal education, see something in the world, or if you want to go into STEM, or you want to be a lawyer, or a doctor, or an sure. accountant, or something like that, you need college. You you need advanced education, and you should have it. Uh, a friend of mine uh, I knew a long time ago, his daughter. A teenage daughter was into carpentry and her goal, I mean, she was passionate about building cabinets and desks and things like that. So he made, so he made a simple deal with her. He said that he would support her career aspirations and carpentry 1000% on two conditions, or actually three conditions. She went to college, she got a business degree and she went to college out of state. Here are the reasons he wanted to get her out of her uh, hometown so she could see a bit of the world. Right. He wanted her to have a degree that would help her if she wanted to go into the carpentry business and be successful at it. And she wanted him and he wanted her to get away from him for a while so that she could finish that process of becoming a full adult. Mm. Fair. Yeah. I that's all valid but the reality is that most americans don't have that dad that's going to pay them to go to i mean not pay them but like support them to go to college the reality is the average american or actually the average college graduate is in debt for 21 years that's um, the, oh i'm still in debt i finished the mba in 20 in 20 in 2002 and i still owe like thirteen thousand dollars wow i mean is it serving you like did you end up going into hr for oil companies the MBA paid for itself in one fell swoop. I landed a $30,000 contract because the difference between me and the other person going for it were those three letters at the end of my name. They wow. felt that those three letters at the end of my name gave me an edge. Yeah. And so, so, I, so I, 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 pay, I, paid, I paid the whole, I, I, I got the entire return on investment because the part of my student loans that were the MBA were like $28,000 give or take. I mean, I got, I got some uh, tuition reimbursement. I had a couple like little scholarships. I put a little bit of my own money in, but it was mostly debt finance. So mm -hmm. by the time that all broke even about 28,000 of it was the MBA. So if you want to look at it just in very raw terms, I, the whole thing paid off for me with one signature. Fair. Took 14, took, took 16 years for it to happen, but it did. When you were in college, what was the experience like? I'm curious, like from a conversation standpoint, uh, this this book I've just I'm putting out on April 25th. I'm just saying it starts with the story of me being in college and thinking it was going to be this like land of diverse opinions and debate and entrepreneurs who were create, creating ideas and working on businesses. And it was the complete antithesis of that, um, let alone like the anti-capitalism sentiment that existed on campus. But 
this idea of it being like this intellectually free, you know, uh, community where people are ideating and talking and having civil discourse was just non-existent. Uh, I, was, I, I was able to find that because I went searching for it. I went to Penn State. So that's a huge college. It's it's one of the true universities. It's a type of place where you can go and basically be or do three different things in one in one day. So it took me a while to actually recognize the gift of that. And if I had to do it over yeah. again, that's where I would really just go full bore. But I sought out people with whom I could have those types of conversations, have those types of dialogues. I got involved in organizations that nurtured that. So uh, yeah, I got a lot of the peer pressure to be all about, you know, football and uh, the Nittany Lions and all that. And, well, and, and, and there's, there's, a, there's a couple of people, the cigar shop I hang out with who cannot believe that I never once purchased a ticket to see the Penn State and Nittany Lions play while I was in college. The only time I went to the games is, and this was maybe twice, is when somebody who didn't even go to Penn State had a couple tickets and were coming up for the weekend and wanted to know if I wanted the other tickets. They wanted someone to hang out with. That's funny. It's like I, I, it's like I didn't care about that. I wasn't there for it. In fact, home game weekends were irritating because it made it made it even more difficult to get into the bars. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So, but, but, uh, but to answer the follow-up question on that, if I were to do college again, yeah. uh, I would be, I would never pull an all-nighter. I, I'm, I, I cannot think of one time that, that uh, ruining a night's sleep over an exam actually taught me anything. Cause I can't remember any of the stuff I crammed into my head to this day. So I would never pull an all-nighter. Uh, second of all, I would not be as focused on my grades. I wouldn't slack off, but I wouldn't obsess over it. I would mostly focus on getting the best grades I could in the part of my GPA that applied to my major. But I wouldn't worry about all that other three years of gen ed at high school all over again that they foist upon you as part of the money making scheme. I would, in fact, in fact, to a degree, I would probably see my way through some of that stuff. If you know what I mean? Because I would be looking at it as like, hey, I'm at a university. There's experiences here. Right. Uh, and that is part of education. That's what a university education is supposed to be about. University, universal. You're supposed to have experience. You're supposed to try mm -hmm. those things once, twice if it hurts the right way. You're supposed to you know, go to the edge on certain things. You're supposed to meet some interesting people that you might otherwise never encounter, do some things you might otherwise never do. That's part of the education of it. I would have spent more time on that. I love that. I, I do think, though, a lot of people go to these schools. I mean, it depends on the size of school, too, but it's very easy to quickly like fall into finding what you perceive to be your tribe really early on in life. And then uh -huh. those people. And and that, I think, is a really, you know, big big issue, especially like, you know, we talk about this a lot in like the entrepreneurial community. I'm sure you know this as well, like as this mindset and this ideal that you have to seek out the people in your life that you want to create like a network of that is going to help create the reality that you want. Like you are, you know, the, the five people who are closest to you or like the summation of those people. Um, and, and especially in college, like it's super easy, I think, to fall into I don't know, the first niche you fall in love with and uh -huh. that that is the world uh, rather than, I don't know, continually seeking out those new perspectives and those new people and, and those new experiences. I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you run a podcast, right? Like, you, yeah, two of them with wrong. two of them with the third one coming out soon. You've gone on to be a person that intentionally seeks out these conversations and yeah. 
for that person in, in university as well. Like, is that innate? Do you think like, do, or, you know, was it trained? Like what, what made you this person? I think like, I, I think it's because I'm so introverted. They had to make a new category for, for me on the left hand of the introvert extrovert scale. And what that means is you're an that, introvert. Oh, extremely. Wow. Extremely. But and now you're saying, how is that possible? The guy seems so verbose, so outgoing. It's because I feel like I'm with my own people. Right. I feel I feel like you are somebody who would be in my tribe. I could see you as somebody where if we were in the same city at the same time, we could probably sit down somewhere and have about us and uh, spend about six hours and solve at least 12 of the world's problems. You're right. You're the type of person I would seek out. It's just that's just how, how it is now. Uh, now, by contrast, uh, I, I think uh, I was at a coffee shop about a week ago and somebody sat down next to me and they said, uh, so what are you doing on your computer? I said, stuff. Uh, well, what kind of computer is it? It's a Lenovo Yoga. Uh, what kind of computer do you think I should get? Ask the guy at Best Buy. Like, uh, Dang. well, what I mean by that is you got to come at, you got to, I'm looking for things that are a little more intriguing than those types of small talk questions. Fair. Yeah. If, that, mean, if that helps to clear it up a little bit. I think it does. I think it just means that, you know, perhaps we're deep people, which can yeah. be, for some people is really heavy. You know, like I, I'm definitely the type of person that loves to go into rabbit holes and just like ramble on. And for other people, yeah. like too many words and they need, <laughs> I don't know. Silence. Yeah, yeah. You and I have at least six open loops in our conversation right now. <laughs> um, um, I, and, I, and I've had people comment on me to this that I'll open up a lot of loops and I'll just keep going and eventually I might come back and close some of them but in some cases I won't uh, so one loop that's still open is you mentioned the whole thing about conscious capitalism and biodegradable packaging now I, I'm just old enough to remember when recycling became a major thing you're supposed to have the five different garbage cans and yeah. uh, sort out the stuff nobody was doing that I mean I mean yeah, some people did, but, no, but, for the, for, for, but for the most part, I live like, in California, where you think this would be like of high priority, and in Los Angeles, which is the city I'm in and live in and have been in for the last three years, yeah. half of these apartment buildings don't have recycling built in. Like it's not even an option. You can't. Uh, even yeah, that, that's that's what I mean. People aren't really doing that. So mm -hmm. with conscious capitalism, we just instead of putting it on the end user, we go to the source. And yeah. the source is where does that stuff come from in the first place? Can we make more eco-friendly packaging? And uh, and 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 that's where I would well, it's, start it's with that. It's more complex than that, but I mean, it definitely is like building a system around the human. It's like yeah. it starts with the eco-friendly packaging and holding those big companies reliable uh, or liable to do that. But uh -huh. it's also sorting when it gets to the you know it gets to the conveyor belt where it eventually is going to a landfill. And like those are jobs that again I don't. I don't necessarily want to have, but people want to work. Um, and, and, you know, someone will do that job. There, there's, there's somebody out there that would just, that would, I mean, that would be their dream to just spend all day standing by a conveyor belt sorting things. Right. In fact, in fact, in fact, that kind of mindset is somebody who would pride themselves on setting records for how fast and how much they could sort in one day. And that to them would be a win. Well, you know what? We need those types of winners because that's how the job gets done. Right. And so, I mean, it, all that to say, like, it's you building this whole ecosystem around around the end consumer rather than expecting them to carry this burden. Yeah. And 
The same goes for like education. So with auto, that company I was mentioning, I started, uh, the whole idea was it's so difficult to land some of these jobs when they're asking for years of experience and you've spent the last four years in college and you graduate with a degree that has nothing to do with half of these jobs that you're trying to apply for now. I graduated with a degree in political science and then right before I graduated, I decided I wasn't going to law school. Wow. I mean, the poli-sci degree was because I was going to law school. And then I decided right before I graduated that, uh, in fact, what happened is I ended up attending a three-hour seminar that was taught by one of the adjunct professors in the Dickinson School of Law. He was a corporate attorney, a, a real a real shark, a real cutthroat. And he gave this presentation on what a gnarly, nasty profession the legal practice is. And uh, he was charismatic. He was mesmerizing. He drew you in. He made you. He made people stand up and give him standing ovations in the middle of his seminar, which is something you don't often get from a professor teaching a seminar in a college. Right. And by the time he was done, he had taken me in the palm of his hand. He had me right where he wanted me. And there was no freaking way I was going to be a lawyer. <laughs> because because I, I realized this, that was his intersection of his brilliance and his passion, he was built for it. But what he described, I wasn't. And I think a lot of these jobs get glamorized, you know, like yeah. people will think that they want to go and be a lawyer because they watched, you know, 10 seasons of Suits. And then they realize, no, half of being a lawyer is just filing paperwork and actually would be, actually could be great for an introvert uh, versus like what we typically think of a lawyer as like the, you know, individual who's great at speech and going up and moving a courtroom eh, that ends up being like 10% of the job. Well, yeah, yeah. If, if that, I mean, I, I've, I've spoken with, I have friends who are criminal defense attorneys. I've spoken with them about that. And they, and they say the same thing that actually going in court, giving the performance, winning over those 12 people who were too stupid to get out of jury duty. You know, it's an old joke among them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's like maybe 3% of what goes into trying a case. Yeah. Most of it, is research 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 writing 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 reading 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 over and over and over again yes and unfortunately i think so much of our education system beats the love of those things out of people like yeah the love of reading the love of learning the love of writing the love of researching and i think that especially for like me at a young age when youtube was coming up it was one of those moments of just falling in love with learning in a, uh -huh. in, a, in a way that almost felt rebellious. Like parents didn't want you spending all this time on YouTube, but I was spending this time on YouTube thinking to myself, like I'm learning more skills on YouTube than I am in the classroom right now. And, you know, that, I, at the time I started my first business selling and breeding turtles, which I learned how to do entirely on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My, my first entrepreneurial venture uh, was owning a web development company. I, I didn't go to web design school. I watched a bunch of videos about it. I took on some projects and I just figured it out. I fully think web design is like one of those skills that needs to be taught in school uh, right alongside writing. Because oh, 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 certainly. It certainly should be because just like just like uh, everybody who graduates high school or finishes their mandatory state education should get an LLC for a graduation present. Uh, I think they by that point should be trained not only in home economics, which is a lost art, but also they should know how to develop their own branding presence. 
I yeah. mean, they may, they may not be a master brander, but they should know enough on uh, here's how here's how to properly set up a LinkedIn profile to attract employers, clients, and investors. Here's how to uh, here's how to set up an Instagram profile for engagement. Here's how to film a three minute video for a shorter a TikTok. Here's how to build a website, and here's how to populate that website to get myself found by the people I want to attract. Yes, I agree very important skills, just being able to sell yourself, you know, being able to articulate your value as well to the world and finding a niche and finding your tribe, like we mentioned earlier on, those are key. And we don't, we don't teach those as being important life skills. Well, uh, you know, as I, as I, as I like to say, um, having a published book is the new business card (laughs) and having a podcast is the new cover letter. Ooh. If you're if you're if you mean if you're looking to if you're looking to go C-suite level or senior management level or even director level, that's kind of where you need to play because your prospective employers or if you're looking for an internal promotion, they want to see what you bring to the table in terms of your innovation and your ability to communicate, your idea to ideate, I-D-E-A-T, create ideas. And uh and those are really some of the more effective ways to do it now the idea that uh again i pointed out even 20 years ago the idea that you spend a lot of time at the same company uh was already kind of a dead thing they're already looking at that as oh you've been with this company for three years why are you still there what nobody wants to hire you you're not motivated you're no good why aren't why aren't you going to work for another company aren't they aren't they headhunting you aren't they aren't they poaching you don't they see a good thing when your resume comes in uh, right. Come on, what's up? What's up? What's up with that? So, companies will, and and you know they say the whole thing that uh, companies will invest more money on hiring people from the outside, and they will promoting their own people. Well, you know maybe there's something to that because uh, their own people should probably be looking outside as well. And I think some of the best companies recognize that you know you have Milan working for you for five years. Maybe he goes to another company, but who knows? Maybe he comes back ten years later. Yes. They, they, I was just and, at, and, 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 and hey and hey if you became a manager in my organization and then you went and became a director somewhere else I might want you my C, my C suite in ten years because now you have a broader range of experiences that make you even more valuable than if you just climb my ladder. I fully agree. A broader range of experiences brings broader ranges of perspectives, and all of that is useful to whatever team you're joining. Yeah, uh, because that's the reality. Like when we talk about diversity in the workplace. The whole concept is this idea that when you bring diverse people to the workplace, you bring diverse perspectives, and that means more innovation, new solutions, new ways of attacking problems that you hadn't thought of them before. And it's so important. And if you stay at the same place forever, uh, you know, there used to be this idea that you could apprentice under someone and, you know, learn everything that they did and take over their role or whatever that is. But that's, it's so archaic now, like you're better off going to different places. Or um, if you're working at some of these really large companies, uh-huh. finding ways to upskill in your free time so that you can actually find mobility within the companies. Because right. these big organizations like Google, Apple, um, Amazon, they're all creating these programs of education within their companies saying that, all right, well, we're so big and like as companies that we actually are going to teach our own educational material because we want to train our own staff coming into uh, coming into our yeah. labor and so if you're already employed you should and you want to pivot within the company you should take some of our educational courses get a certificate from amazon from meta from google and all of a sudden you can move from you know the search team to the advertisement team or um you know to sales or whatever it is that you want to get into so that's 
that's the, it's all about mindset, you know, and like thinking about your next play and your next move at these organizations or wherever it is you want to go next, not being stagnant. Right, 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 right. I mean, and if, you know, coming back to our original topic, turning ideas into action. I mean, where do these ideas come from? They come from exposure. They come from experiences. Like yeah. um, uh, one thing I like to remind people, uh, Jeff Bezos, who depending on what uh, what time of day it is or what day it is, is the richest man in the world. It just depends on what kind of day Elon Musk happened to be having that afternoon. <laughs> uh, he's either the first or second richest man in the world. Literally. Well, funny thing about Bezos did you know that after dinner, he washes and dries his own dishes? That's like meditation, though. You actually, you actually, uh, you uh, rolled the strike after I set up the pins. That's actually exactly why he does it. It's the idea that he can get a, cha- a change of pace, a mind frame shift from being in the executive decision-making place all the time. He says he's has, he has some of his best ideas while he's washing his dishes. I fully, I mean, it's the same concept of being in the shower, you know, like yeah. going and, and working out in the middle. I, I hate working out. I work out in the morning just to get it over with, but it, it, it definitely brings that like change of pace that's necessary and, and some, some form of discipline, honestly, like these habits, these rituals that we do um, create, create good meditation for us to be able to clear the mind and then come back with way better solutions. That's why, like, you know, when we talk about burnout and these ideas of, needing to take breaks and vacation and having work-life balance are so important because if you don't and you enter into this rut, you enter into this like moment of thinking that everything's the same. It's going to be constant. There's all this information flowing. There's, you know, like overthinking the problem. Uh, taking a step back is so, so important to being able to be an effective, I don't know, leader, manager, uh-huh. employee. Yeah, just yeah, just today uh, I had a conversation with somebody who one of my clients who's going to be hosting a seminar soon has hired to manage his back of the room process for his seminar. I'm going to be at the seminar as well, doing some other things, and uh, and my role with her was to give her the lowdown on what her job was going to be. And I the meeting lasted three minutes. Hmm. The re- the reason why is it's not a complicated process. Yeah. I, it only took three minutes to explain to her. It's like, you'll do A, B, and C. And in a couple of days, I'm going to send you all the documents you're going to use. That's that's it. There. Yeah. And, uh, and, and another thing that people find you know, interesting about me sometimes, uh, particularly when it comes to team meetings with clients, for example, is everybody goes around, they share their ideas about this or that or the other thing. And they come to me and say, oh, that's, that's fine. Like, well, well, don't you have something to add? No, yes. it's good. Yeah, it, uh, yeah we, 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 it's like we, it's like we've we've had the process. This uh, this to me is about as good as it's going to get. The only way we're going to get better is to put it in the marketplace and see how the and see how the market responds to it. So let's do that. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna continue to tinker with an engine that's running smoothly. Right. I think that takes a lot of control and a lot of restraint too. That's, that's really important. Like I think a lot of people struggle with that being able to, I don't know, know when it's time to take feedback in when it's time to not take feedback in and just to iterate and be heads down. Uh, There's, there's definitely a lot of, I don't know, challenge there for young entrepreneurs, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this goes back to uh, participation points in school. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, 
I I did very badly when it came to participation points because I did not want to be involved. I just wanted to I just wanted to listen to the lecture and uh, and read the books. That's so interesting. I mean, that's fair. Just taking in all that input is is good too. But I do think it's important to get involved and to not be afraid to ask questions. And if know. I if I if I had them and they were original, I would ask them. But uh, other than that, I I wasn't going to you know raise my hand just to. Uh, just so I could have my voice heard. heard. I, I just, right. uh, I just never saw a need for that. I've had more than one person comment on me that I don't post to social media constantly. I don't speak all the time, but when I do, it has an impact. Right. That that's a style that works for me. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so you have a book coming out here. We're, you know, almost near the end of our time. So I'm kind of interested in this book myself. So, uh, I guess the way to wrap up, tell us a little bit about tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So this book is kind of a culmination of of all of the stories that I feel really helped me become a better communicator. Uh, I think as a young person, especially, I was really brash and that type of person that would, you know, not only enjoy hearing myself speak, but would pursue speaking to be right or to make a point. Yeah. Uh, and it's only through life and making a bunch of mistakes and then, you know, uh, reflecting on them that you start to realize that that doesn't help you and that the greatest impact in your life comes from creating connection with other people. And that only comes from really great conversations. And so that idea of being able to find common ground with almost anyone on any topic is this idea called civil discourse that through conversation with the right tools, the right mindset, we are able to find common ground on almost any topic. And so, you know, I share stories from my life, whether it's entrepreneurship, uh, a publication I created focused on anonymous publishing and all of the crazy stories we'd publish and people in the comment sections either becoming really uncivil or remaining civil and defending the integrity of conversations. Um, Yeah. Or even in my personal life, you know, and like I, I, I joke that I had five parents growing up um, just seeing several of my, you know, parents divorced more than once. And so mm-hmm. uh, when you see enough of these moments and how conversation can be so important in how we build and maintain relationships, um, it starts to, you know, you start to realize like, dang, these are lessons I wish I knew earlier in life. And so that's why I wrote the book uh, so that, you know, people can hopefully learn from my mistakes. Yeah, what's what's the title going to be? You said it was coming out in the next few weeks. It's called I'm Just Saying. It comes out April 25th. So okay. 13 days. Oh, great, 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 great. Awesome. So um, yeah, so uh, again, I'm not sure exactly when this is going to go live, but it should be live right around that time. Uh, at this point, what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite our audience. Uh, uh, if Milan is somebody or Milan is somebody you'd like to connect with, you can find him on pretty much any social media platform, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. I think he's got them all covered. Make sure to check out his website. It's www.milancordistani.com. I'll spell that for you. M-I-L-A-N-K-O-R-D-E-S-T-A-N-I.com. It's a very interesting website, and you'll get to learn more about some of Milan's companies. Auto, which he mentioned earlier, in addition to Nota and Gwyn Music. So check all that out. It's a, it's pretty interesting. He's got some great blog posts as well. And uh, again, you know, reach out to him and tell him you heard about him on the Business Creators Radio Show. And with that, Milan, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you so much, Adam. It was a pleasure having this conversation with you. Thanks for the great questions. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. 
Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.